Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event in weekly Bible study for March 28th, 2010, continuing with the articles that we started. Next one is, India is preparing to force all of its 1.2 billion people to accept the national ID card with biometric features. It's from the Telegraph out of the UK. Um, the operation will be run by a unique identification authority, a new government department created specifically for the task of assigning every living Indian an exclusive number and gathering and electronically storing their personal details. It is hoped that the operation, which is expected to cost at least 3 billion, I believe, euros, will fight corruption. But it could also be used to identify illegal immigrants and tackle terrorism. Of course, this program will also condition Indians that the government has the right to force them to accept the national ID card. Such a system is a precursor to the ultimate mark of the beast in plane and ship. After the anti-crisis on the world scene, Indians will be told their biometric national ID cards are too susceptible to loss and theft. The only way to solve this problem is to initiate implantable chips. That's just how they're going to do it. I've talked about this a lot in times past. The same rationale for the mark of the beast will be repeated in every country on Earth. Nadin Nelakani, who is in charge of the operation, called it a huge mind-boggling challenge. We will have the opportunity to give every Indian citizen for the first time a unique identity. We can transform the country, he told the Times. At present, Indian citizens can be issued with up to 20 proofs of identity, including birth certificates, driver's licenses, ration cards, although none is accepted universally. A computer chip in each card will contain personal data and proof of identity, such as fingerprints or iris scans, criminal records, and credit histories may also be included. At this point, the inevitable mass government databases on individual citizens will come into play. Um, Mr. Nakini, who left the company Infosys, the outsourcing giant that he co-founded, um, to take up his new job, he wants the cards to be linked to a ubiquitous online database accessible from anywhere. Such a, quote, ubiquitous, on, ubiquitous online database is essential for the coming global dictatorship of the Antichrist worldwide. Now, I've done several teachings on the National ID and the Mark of the Beast, and I give you a link here within the PDF or the email I will be sending. So what I try to do when I do a teaching like this, I'll send out the audio to my email list, which is free, and then I'll send out the actual content of the audio in the next email. Okay? Just... Those are the two main emails I'll send out per week. Um, it's about all I can do at this point. My time's just so limited. And then I'll also include the PDF as an attachment or as a part of the study that I post online up on contendingfortruth.com. If you look in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see audio teachings. And you click on that and you'll see the newest teachings there with the little PDF boxes you can click on. Okay, so next article. Uh, the drive to create the North American Union is moving forward, aided by most an unlike, a most unlikely campaign. This is from the Los Angeles Times, March 22nd of this year. Big Im- immigration march on Washington. Immigrants from Mexico are marching in Washington, D.C., demanding action on a bill which would legalize illegal immigrants. Now, from what I understood about the health care bill, it's going to go a long way to legalizing the illegal aliens as well and making sure they get free health care and free everything. Because it's all about destroying the middle class, like I said, and creating this slave class and a ton of people that end up working for the government. And, you know, 
But beware of the hidden agenda. Also note that this uh, national ID card is to be based on biometric technology. Just as we reported in the article we just cited. Okay, we're going to get into that in a second. Determined to push a major overhaul of the immigration system to the top of the nation's political agenda, tens of thousands of people rallied Sunday in the National Mall, challenging the Congress to fix laws that they say separate families and hurt the country's economic and social vitality. Organizers and supporters of the March for America campaign, who demonstrated as House members cast a historic vote on health care, want to make sure that immigration overhaul is the next big undertaking in Washington, D.C. Earlier this month, Senator Charles Schumer and Lindsey Graham proposed a new blueprint for the immigration overhaul, which the White House has endorsed. Among other measures, the plan would require biometric social security cards to ensure that illegal workers cannot get jobs additional border security and a temporary worker plan and some path to legalization. Well, they're going to legalize them all. What does that mean, a biometric social security card? Well, physiological biologics are related to, but are not limited to, fingerprint, face recognition, DNA, hand and palm print geometry, or iris recognition, meaning where they scan your eye, which has largely replaced retina, um, recognition. But notice that they use the, the phrase some path to legalization. So even the ones that are illegal that might get caught that don't have the card, they'll make sure that you know, or the ones that get the card, they'll make sure that they'll get them legalized. What immigration reform is going to accomplish either directly or indirectly is the proclamation that the only way to solve the illegal immigration problem is to grant the North American Union citizenship to all citizens. See, if we have a North American Union okay, super state Canada, Mexico, and America, then those illegal aliens that are from Mexico, they're all, they'll automatically be grandfathered in because it's going to be one nation anyway. How can they be illegal anymore then? You see the agenda here? Could you imagine if all these people that marched in Washington, if they, if they corralled them in and they checked to see who was illegals and they all shipped them back over the border to wherever they're from? No, they wouldn't want to do that. Even though they're here illegally, that's why they call them illegal aliens, they wouldn't want to do that, no couldn't have that. That'd be too lawful. You know? I mean, it's just the government is so criminal, so rogue, and so wrong on so many different levels, it just defies the imagination anymore. Um, This immigration legislation will be created as a Trojan horse, and no one will be the wiser until it's too late. Well, not no one will be the wiser, but most won't. Now, here, uh, shifting gears here, interview. this is an interview with a former high priest of Santeria, who is now a born-again Christian. Uh, this is a guy, his name is John Ramirez. I just heard this yesterday, and I thought there was a good 15-minute excerpt I kind of wanted to play. Um, this is a good education for Christians, to understand that this type of stuff actually literally goes on. And that the Bible says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes and principalities and rules of wickedness and powers and and then it goes on and tells us to put on the full armor of God. And this is a great example of that. And I told you I've battled a lot of different witchcraft in, in times past. And this is a great evidence and proof of, of how much of that we actually are battling. And we might, not, we might not even be aware of it. In his book, Out of the Devil's Cauldron, A Journey from Darkness to Light, John Ramirez tells the story of how he was trained to be a third-ranked high priest of the satanic cult Santeria in New York casting powerful witchcraft spells and controlling entire spiritual regions. 
But what started as a long spiral into the underworld ended in a miraculous encounter with God that changed his life. Now, I, I heard the whole interview. I didn't agree with every single thing that he said. Okay, um, But then again, when do we ever? The Bible says we see through a glass but darkly and then face to face. So none of us have it all figured out. Um, in, uh, but there was a lot of things that really rang true with what he was saying based on my previous experiences as well. So I'm going to go ahead and we're going to play a clip from this and uh, I'll be kind of commenting on the way. The satanic religion of Santeria is deeply ingrained in Haiti. But did you know that Santeria is practiced by many people in the USA? It was rumored last year that Michelle Obama's grandmother was conducting Santeria rituals in the White House. My guest today can... Santeria rituals in the White House. Michelle uh, Obama's grandmother. So, I don't know if you knew about that, but yeah, that happened. Tell us a lot about the satanic religion. John Ramirez was trained to be the third-ranking high priest of Santeria in New York City. Satan's plans for John, however were interrupted when the Holy One of Israel made himself known to John. He's the author of the book, Out of the Devil's Cauldron, A Journey from Darkness to Light. This is John Ramirez's first time on True News. John, welcome to the program. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. How are you this morning? We're doing great. Glad to have you here. Amen. Thank you so much. All right. Well, John, let's uh, let's divide this up uh, into two parts. Let's, let's talk about your days uh, as a Santeria priest, and then we'll talk about how um, the God of Israel turned your life right side up and got you on the right path. Uh, when did you, when and how did you get involved in the satanic cult? Well, I was, a t- I, I was involved as a 10-year-old little boy. 10 years uh, old? 10 years old, yes. I was born into the religion uh, to be trained by uh, the high rank, uh, high priest. Uh, there was in Spiritimo. Spiritimo is, a, is, a, is, a, is like a rank of uh, Santeria. And uh, Palamanyumbe is another rank of Santeria because they copied the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who, so, who in your family was into Santeria? <clears throat> my aunt. She was in it for like 50 years. And uh, she's the one that uh, recruited me and my mother to get into it because to, to us it's supposed to be like a cultural thing. And that's how I got in it as a 10-year-old boy. I was being trained in mediums in Central, which is witchcraft church, how to sit in uh, tables and, and, and interact with uh, different demonic spirits at different ranks, at different levels, to get familiar with them and have make a pact and a contract with them. Was your aunt uh, from the USA, or was she born in another country? Uh, born in Puerto Rico and uh, moved to the United States, and we moved to the Bronx, and uh, we grew up in the Bronx, close to each other, and uh, and... The religion was introduced uh, to us because everything, everyone was connected somehow another to the religion, and that's how uh, we we connected with the people in the Bronx. Okay, so so uh, let's go back to your uh, your your childhood, age ten. You're introduced to this religion. Where did it go from there? Well, I was introduced to this religion. Uh, I had a car reading, a tarot car reading, and uh, I was told that I was chosen by uh, the five high rank. Dev- uh, uh, demonic spirits, which is Santeria, which is Oadala, Oya, Ochun, Chango, and Jemaya. These are the five high-ranked spirits that run this religion. Uh, demonic principalities that run this religion. I was introduced to them. I got my first ceremony at the age of 10. 
which is the Coyote, the electors, which is the beads that you put, you put on the five colors and you bow down to these idols and uh, you make a pact that uh, you're serving for the rest of your life. And when you were introduced to these five demonic spirits, uh, did they introduce themselves to you? Right. Well, through through, through car reading, through uh, through uh, through uh, shell readings, uh, you know. Well, please, you welcome in. You will put it. Now he's saying through card readings. I believe he means tarot or tarot cards, um, or maybe a form of cards reading they have in Santeria and shell reading. They do a lot of different types of what they call readings, and they're demonic in nature. Uh, so just to clarify a little bit. The family now, we are your family, and these are the rules you live by. Okay, and, and how how um, how do these spirits uh, manifest themselves through card reading and other activities? Well, it, it, it's basically on, on the, the mediums, and people, uh, the, the spirit, embodied, the embodied spirits, so they need mediums, they need bodies, they need people that follow people that would sign into this occult and uh, get involved so they can lend their bodies out in order to communicate with the with the people with humans mm -hmm. um hey you know when when you're driving down the road and you see a you know a sign that says palm reader or card reader um are, i mean are, are are all these people involved in santeria or some form of satanic religion well, there's they different levels and different ranks. There's 21 ranks to the dark side. And the first three ranks, the high most, high most powerful three ranks in the dark side is Santeria, Espiritim, and Palamanyumbe. The, the car reading stuff like that is just a small aspect of to get you in. That's the open door to get you in into the spirit. That's the spirit realm door that gets you into uh, to, to the occult. So these, when he says the card readings and things of this nature, fortune telling, whether it's tea leaves or whatever you're getting read tarot cards this is the doorway Ouija boards this is the doorway to get you involved in deeper level stuff because when you go and you per willingly participate in these things what you don't see is you're actually literally taking on demons you're literally they're literally coming into your body and they're starting to take you over you're giving them permission to do that when you participate in these types of things. And you don't see it happening, but it does happen. And he's going to explain that a little bit more as well. Um, do these demonic spirits literally give the mediums uh, accurate information about the, about the people's lives when they come to see them? Well, you know, don't, you know the, and, and I, I was a devil worshiper for 25 years. I was a high third high rank from Miami to New, Haiti, from Haiti to New York and to Cuba. So, so basically, the, uh, the readings. Remember, the, the Bible said that these spirits roam the earth. If you look at the Book of Job, the Book of Job speaks about how the devil was God summons the devil. He said, well, "Where were you?" He said, "Back and forth from the earth." So the, these spirits roam the earth. So they know all about you. So they're going to tell you stuff about yesterday and today. And then uh, no one knows the future. Only Christ does. And okay, now this is where I beg to disagree because we have the book of Revelation and the devil knows the book of Revelation and that is future. Now also, when you look in the book of Job and when the devil had come to and fro and he was going up and down in the earth and he stood before God, you have to understand, God is not subject to time. Time is like, think of time like a capsule, okay? God knows the beginning from the end. Now, I do believe that these devils and demons have some type of 
possible foreknowledge about certain events. Now, we got the book of Revelation, you have Daniel. But the reason I know they don't have a total knowledge is because when you go to the palm readers and things of this nature, um, even if they get something right, they're only getting it right typically less than 50% of the time. So their knowledge has been corrupted. The true test of a prophet, according to Deuteronomy 18, is the prophet or the seer has to get it right 100% of the time if he is hearing from God. God makes sure that people that read crystal ball, they scry a crystal ball, or they read tea leaves, or they do the tarot cards, or whatever, he makes sure that those people never get it right all the time. Their batting average is usually less than 500, 500 or, or less than 50%. Typically, usually it's a lot less than that. So much so that these things like the Dion Warwick Psychic Friends Network, these places all end up getting sued and going out of business because they give away so much bad information. But I do believe they have some type of... We know that they have the Bible to draw upon, but they probably have some type of limited, uh, distorted foreknowledge about certain things that may come to pass. Uh, I, again, I think to make a blanket statement where they where where they say they have no comprehension of the future at all, I think that's a little short sighted. But that's my opinion. Anyway, let's go further. The reason that these uh, these, these car readings are so effective because what happened is that when you step into a car reading, a tarot car reading to a medium, to a person like myself. Uh, you open the door to the dark side, and you open the door to a point that, say, for example, the devil doesn't know the future, and these demons don't know the future. But what happened is that the trick to this is that when you come and I, you say you're married, and you got kids, and, and I say, well, your, your, your wife is going to leave you, and, and your kids are going to go into drugs and all that stuff, and you say, well, how could that be? I'm married for 25 years. Uh, my kids are doing very well in school. One is going to Yale, one is going to Princeton, and I said, they're going to get on drugs in the next 30 days. You'll see. But you don't know that the same demon is talking to me that's the demon you take home, and you can, how could you stop something that you can't see? So the same demon go to your house, destroy your marriage, to put your kids on drugs, and then uh, you come back to me and you think that I know the future. That's not the future. Mm-hmm. So, so the demonic, these demonic spirits, um, be, because they're familiar with us, they know our past and our present, they use that information to convince the, the, um, the willing participant in these in these uh, encounters, that that uh, the medium knows all about this person. So therefore, if if this medium knows the past and the present, he or she must obviously know the future. Correct, right, and that's uh, just just like a catch twenty two. But the- okay, so again, this is how like if you had one of these shows where they say they want to glorify the psychics. Always, they got all kind of shows on TV that do that, medium and whatever else shows they've got. Um. Let's say, for example, a murder is committed, and it's committed in some remote ravine, and nobody saw it or whatever. Guaranteed, the demons saw it. So if a psychic taps into those demons regarding a particular given murder, and they're actually shown where the murder happened and where the body is, they're doing that through demonic means, because the demons and devils saw the murder committed. So what the psychic does is commune with the familiar spirits that were familiar with that event or familiar with the person that was murdered. They just tap into that. So then the psychic comes out smelling like a rose. Now, most of the time, it doesn't work. Most of the time, if you see this, there's, you know, I've seen shows where they said, you know, literally hundreds of psychics uh, reported a certain thing about a given murder, but only one was right. So, again, it's still a very low percentage that typically end up getting it right. 
But that's how it does happen, just so you know. The future, they don't know the future because the person only knows what's going to happen in five minutes. Only, only Christ, our Lord mm-hmm. and Savior, knows the future. He knows that he holds our tomorrows. But because you open the door to something that was diabolical, you take that demonic spirit that's giving you the car reading, not the medium, but you take the spirit because they're familiar spirits. The Bible speaks about those. And you take that home with you, not even knowing that you're taking that home with you, and whatever that person had indicated that the spirit had told that person, the medium, that your marriage is going to be broken and this is going to happen. It's always bad news, never good news. Uh, you know, so that spirit goes home to your house and stuff. Again, I don't agree with that because a lot of times people go to psychics to get their ears tickled. So I, I don't agree with it's always bad news. Um, you could have a devil or demon do something for you that was actually, on the surface, looked good. You know, um, you have a windfall of cash or whatever, what might happen. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. But most of the time, if somebody goes to do something or this or that, a lot of times they want to get their ears tickled. Uh, now, this other scenario he cites could also be the case as well, but I just have a problem with making blanket statements about something that's always this or it's always that when it's really not. So, again, I have to interject when that happens. Working against your marriage, not working against your, your, your children or whatever he predicted. So when that does happen, it looks like they know the future, and then you come back and you say, how could I turn around and make my life better because everything you said happened. So I tell you, well, give me uh, give me $10,000. I'm going to make your life better. I'm going to put everything back in order for your life. Give me $10,000. So you give the medium $10,000, and then the medium, all he does is call back the spirit. He'll call back the demonic spirit because he has a contact with that spirit, and your life, your life will go right back to normal. And you think that I resolved your problem, which you, you never had a problem. The only problem you had, you walked into something with debacle that you've been into it. That's why it's so, that's why it's so dangerous for people to even explore mm-hmm. the dark side. And, and, you know, I warn people all the time, Don't you, you shouldn't even be, be going there. You shouldn't even be experimenting with it, learning about it. I, I don't even want to read books about the dark side or, or how it operates. I mean, I know people who are Christians that are fascinated with knowing how it works. And, right. you know, there's a limit to how much knowledge we need to know about it. We just we need to know enough to, to recognize uh, its presence and how it how it operates, but we don't need to have a Ph.D. Uh, degree in it. Well, I think we need to know enough to, to, to have wisdom and, and to know the schemes of the enemy, because the Bible says that the devil comes in the wrong line to see who he can devolve. And I think we need to know that we should have the wisdom to, to know and expose it for what it is so people don't have to fall into that stuff to know the true salvation. So the... And then the, like the Bible says, let Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And that's another... Bible verse 2 Corinthians 2.11 that would um, apply to this. And again, I, I agree. Definitely don't want to be bringing home occult books into our house or buying them, worst case scenario, bringing them into our house and reading them. You're bringing a cursed object into your house. And it can have incredibly detrimental effects when you do that. So just something to think about. Cross of Jesus Christ. But not to the thing to entertain it, be fascinated by something like that, because when you are fascinated by something like that, you open doors, even as a Christian, you open doors to the dark side that to entertain these spirits to come to your house and, okay. and, and live, around, live among you. That's right. So, John, um, you started out in this uh, Santa Maria religion at age 10. Uh, tell us how, what happened as you became a teenager and a young adult. 
Well, I, I became a team, well, as, as I got in, I got into uh, age of 10 as I moved up uh, the ranks of uh, Santeria. I moved up the ranks of Espiritismo uh, Palomayumbe, which are the three most powerful uh, entities in, in this in this occult, in this religion, on the earth, uh, in the earth, in this universe. Uh, I moved up. I became uh, more familiar, more trustworthy with the secrets of this, of this occult, secrets of this religion, the secrets of the dark side, the secrets of Santeria. Palo Mayumbe and Espiritismo. As I moved up, I even got married on Halloween. I had a demonic, I had a demonic wedding, a demonic wedding on Halloween with spirits and demonic and witches and all that stuff. And, uh, beyond that, I, I turned around and uh, I, I was an evangelist for the dark side, recruiting people. I knew I knew people that were doctors, lawyers, school teachers, uh, principals, uh, you know, police officers that were in this religion. There were one day during the day and at night there was something else. I, d- I wanted to ask you this: How extensively? Uh, how how deeply has Santeria penetrated the American society? I would say it's bigger than Islam. Bigger than Islam? Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. It just they don't advertise it like Islam does, but it's bigger than Islam. I mean, they they. That's they, a pretty that's a pretty big statement that you just made. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know you have a lot of artists that I can just throw names out there, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know that are very heavily involved. That actually to the music. They advertise to music. The devil, the Bible says, the devil is the prince of the air. The bear means the music, the the, the, the TV, and everything. And uh, the devil used that and used music to advertise his, uh, his, his 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 religion. That's his religion. So, so um, unsuspecting Americans are are listening to popular music, watching movies, watching mm-hmm. TV shows, looking at magazines, and and not even aware that they are being exposed to Santeria messages and images. Right, absolutely. You, you know, if you if you go back to uh, I give you a show, I give you an example. Uh, show I love Lucy. I, I, the American audience fell in love with that show. I love Lucy. But you see Ricky Ricardo. Ricky Ricardo was a double worshipper. And if you see Ricky Ricardo, if you go to YouTube and you type in Bablu Ayer, which is one of the principalities that run the region, uh, Ricky Ricardo. If you type that in, uh, into, you see the one he was playing the the, the bongos. Uh, he was saying Bablu Ayer, Bablu Ayer. That was a song he was singing. He was singing a song to a demonic principality. I thought he was just singing Babalu. Right, Babalu is a demonic principality in that religion that he was worshiping in the show on the set when people were learning the song and they were worshiping. When I realized what they were worshiping, all America. Ricky Ricardo of I Love Lucy was mm-hmm. singing to Satan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Babalu yeah. was a song to Satan. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's Correct. getting weird now, John. Yeah, uh, 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 to a principality called Babalu Ayer, which is Babalu Ayer. If you bring it to the Catholic religion, the Catholic religion, and again, I, I'm not saying nothing bad about the Catholic religion. I'm talking about the Catholic religion of saints. is San Lazarus. Babalu Ayer is San Lazarus to the Catholic religion. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it, it's, a, it's just sugarcoating it Do that. But basically, it's, it's a principality that runs the air, the regions of uh, where we live. Okay, now, John, you mentioned uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and it's my understanding that in Haiti and Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and other uh, Caribbean island uh, nations, that there, there's a lot of intermingling between the Catholic Church and Santeria Voodoo. Uh, is, is that true? Very true. I mean, because basically you remember that Santeria, uh, it was practiced in, in Judova. Judova is, uh, you know, in Africa, uh, the Judova tribe has practiced Santeria. So when they became as slaves into America, first they came into Cuba and then they came into America. So what they did, they, they adapted the Catholic religion by worshiping the Catholic saints because the Catholic saints were, uh, was, there was a resemble of their gods 
of the gods that they served. So what they did was if, if they had some, this thing looked like, you know, had like a red cape and had this and had that, that symbolized Chango. So they, they, they made it believe that they were worshiping the Catholic saint, but meanwhile they were using that as a camouflage to worship their gods. And that's how they... Now this is what uh, Constantine did uh, when the Catholic religion was very first started, you know, circa... 312 to 317 AD who was kind of considered the first pope we're going to talk about him a little bit more today this is exactly what he did he just paganized he Christianized the paganization that the Romans had and the pagans and, and what they did is they formed one big religion and he paganized Christian symbols and things of this nature so that when the pagans came in they would not be offended, and they could worship the way that they wanted to worship, and then the nominal Christians who would come into the Catholic religion would think that it's all still kosher and Christian. This is exactly what's already happened, and, and so much so that they did it the same thing to the holidays, whereas Xmas was originally called Saturnalia, which was a Roman debauched holiday, uh, celebrating the birth of the sun god Tammuz. Easter was Ishtar, was symbolic of the goddess Ishtar, the fertility goddess. And this is why you have rabbits and eggs and all the things surrounding fertility around Easter. They just paganized all this stuff. The Roman Catholic Church did. That's when it all started back in the early, you know, I'm not saying it was all that way instantaneously set up. It did take them hundreds of years to kind of uh, perfect this with the Roman Catholic Church, but started around 312 A.D. through the Emperor Constantine, Constantine the First, who was considered Pontificus Maximus, which was the title that, which was like the first pope, but it was the title that all the Roman emperors took on at that time. This is when it started. We had the amalgamation, paganism, Christianity. It's no different than what he's describing. And I've done teachings on Halloween, Xmas, and Ishtar. If you go up to YouTube, just can Scott Johnson and either Easter or Xmas or Christmas or Halloween, whatever holiday. I haven't done one on Valentine's Day. I'd like to. It's just there's about over 100 teachings I'd like to do. Just a matter of finding time to get to them. Um, <clears throat> with all the breaking current events, it's very hard for me to get to all the teachings I would like to do. So anyway, just want to clarify that. They interacted the the, the the religion into the Catholic faith. I you know I've I've coined a phrase uh, which I call Cathdo, which is uh, Catholicism and Voodoo, mm-hmm. and I, and I've so that's that's the that's the main religion in Haiti and and a lot of these other Caribbean islands is Cathdo. Right. They're, they're they're half Catholic and half Voodoo. Right. And and this is admitted if you do study on Haiti, you'll see that that. Uh, the vast majority of people practice voodoo, and the vast majority are also Catholics. Why? Because it's so easily combinable. They've got their idol system of worship already set up. You've got the idols in Catholicism. You have idols in the voodoo. And there's a lot of uh, demonic crossover that's very compatible. So that's why it, it is the way it is. And, and, you know, it's... Well, I don't know, should I go here or not? Um... You know, the Archbishop of the Roman Catholic Church was killed in in Haiti on the earthquake. And I, I personally, I wondered about it. I thought, what was going on uh, on that island, in that church? 
Well, you got to remember, when I was a devil worshiper and I was into this thing, I had this thing called the cauldron, you know, and who knows what thing was going on. I mean, we, we practiced uh, sacrifice of animal blood, animals, uh, cemeteries. I had $100,000 worth of witchcraft stuff in my house. I, 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 I had... He said he had $100,000 worth of witchcraft implements in his house. He'll describe them now. Human remains, I had human bones. I had everything. I was very diabolical. I was, I was so diabolical that uh, even the witchcraft people in the group that was threatened by hanging out with me because I was too far gone in this religion. And uh, my thing was I would go to clubs and lounges and I would even sit in church and try to, inter- try to break the service mentally because I knew how to get into your mental spiritual space. You, you, went, you went to Christian church services mm-hmm. and tried would, to interrupt would, them? Right. I would recruit Christians. We Christians, I would recruit to the dark side. I would recruit with Christian. I was able to get into your spiritual space, and I was able to put a spit on belief on you, and I was able to break your mind because the battlefield is in the mind. And if I can get in your mind, I had your heart. And if I had your heart, I had you, and I had your family. Okay. So it's common knowledge with high-level occultists that they're typically assigned churches to go to. The best kind of the ones where active soul winning is actually being done so that they could go in there and do this very thing, literally cast spells on people. And try to create as much division, havoc. Women many times will try to seduce the pastor. Uh, it's well known. This stuff goes on in the occult world. It's just that Christian-wise, it's never talked about in most corporate 501c3 churches because, you know, this would make people too uncomfortable. And, you know, we're not supposed to be ignorant of Satan's devices, and yet this is one of the main tools that Satanists or people involved in high-level occult have used for years to infiltrate the churches. Yeah, I, I've, you know, I've experienced this in churches. I, I'm thinking of a particular... Um, I mean, witches do come to church. Yes, I know that, and I'd, I've encountered them in churches before, and I'm thinking about a particular church I attended years ago, and there was a woman attending that church that I absolutely knew was a witch. I, there was no doubt in my mind she was a witch, and... Um, one time, John, um, there was a there was an elderly lady sitting in the in the seat in front of me, the row in front of me, and she had been a member of that church for a long, long time. A uh, very devout woman. Um, she was one of these Christians that when she laid her hands on you to pray, you you felt the warmth of the Holy Spirit come through you. And um, anyhow, when I had become aware that this witch was in the church, and this this is over several months. One one service, the the elderly lady in front of me suddenly stood up and was gasping for air, and she turned to me with a frantic look on her face and was trying to say, "I can't breathe." Mm-hmm. And I I turned and I immediately looked back through the, the church seats, and the woman who was a witch was staring directly at that woman. And, and I told the, the elderly lady, I said, break the eye contact with her. And, uh, and, I, and I stood up and I, you know, I uh, laid hands on the, the woman and began to pray. But I, I actually turned and rebuked the witch and then laid hands on this woman. And she regained her, her, her breath. And no one could figure out what was happening. But I knew what was happening. The witch was cursing her. Right. So... Anyway, I'm just, I wanted to play some excerpts from that. And this stuff goes on. This is reality. But people aren't aware that it's going on. I've heard stories of how 
one of the easiest places for witches to infiltrate is the charismatic churches because they go in there and they will literally, everybody's talking in tongues and they have their demonic tongues. And a lot of the people that call themselves Christians are actually praying in a demonic tongue. And how do I know this? Because I've heard many accounts of people that pray in foreign languages or, or these types of tongues and they go overseas and they'll go to a place where that tongue is actually known, or that language is actually known, or even if somebody comes and visits their church, and these people will turn to them, they understand the language, and say, why are you cursing Jesus Christ? You know, in my language. This has happened over and over, so it's very, something you have to be real careful about. These people, like these witches go, and they will literally pray in demonic tongues, and for the most part, nobody knows the wiser, and all they're doing is, is literally putting curses on the churches. So charismatic churches are particularly easier to infiltrate because of what goes on there. And I've had my share of dealing with witches in charismatic churches and in other churches I've been in. And if you want to know more about that, just key in the uh, keyword search. Uh, Scott Johnson up on YouTube um, in Supernatural. That's, uh, I think, is like my supernatural experiences I've had. So you can, if you want to listen to that, you can do that. And uh, that'll give you some more information there. So anyway, let's go further. Next news article is Joel Osteen blesses Houston's new gay mayor and Ice Parker. Now, Romans 126-28 says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of, of their heir, which was meat. That word meat means proper or fit. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Meaning, that word convenient in the King James, meaning things that are things that are not right or fitting. And then verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now in the first picture we see here of this article, it's Houston Mayor and Ice Parker holding hands with her partner, Kelly Kathy Hubbard, while bowing their heads during the prayer led by Houston Evangelical megachurch pastor Joel Osteen. At her, at her public inauguration ceremony on Monday. This is a story from 1-5 of January 5th of this year. So you got Joel Osteen, they're swearing in this lesbian, open lesbian mayor, and she's literally holding hands with her gay lesbian partner, and I believe they're holding hands, it looks like, over a Bible. Because it, it looks like a Bible is on her gay lover's lap. This is the state of affairs that we have in America now. Sodom and Gomorrah openly and and blessed and and just, you know. This is from the Associated Press. Anais Parker, the newly elected, who happens to be a lesbian, mayor of Houston, was sworn in Monday and the opening prayer was given by Reverend Joel Osteen. Even though the Bible says, holy and reverend is he, Meaning God, Reverend is not a biblical title for a person. I did a whole teaching on that, the title of Reverend. Um, 
anyway. And if, if anything, Joel Osteen is not, he's not Reverend. <laughs> he's an abomination. Uh, is your head spinning? Oste- now, this is from a secular, this is Associated Press, so this is not from a Christian source, but it says, is your head spinning? Osteen heads the nation's most mega of evangelical, non-denominational mega churches, Lakewood Church in Houston, where about 45,000 people cycle through a revamped sports stadium for services every weekend. 45,000 people. I'm still trying to save up for that big globe get spinning behind me. We, we I had a listener sent me one of those little plastic blow-up ones. The kind of the globe. So we, we used that for a while until it popped. And, and then, you know, I've been, been no, just kidding, sorry. But no, I really, he did really send me one of those. So I thought that was funny. And we did, I did bring it in for a couple services there. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Osteen has been all over telling folks uh, like Larry King and Whoopi Goldberg for years that homosexuality is, quote, not God's best, quote. I presume he means that God's best choice, because otherwise I'm lost in the drop through implied rest of the sentence. But God's best is a phrase Osteen never finishes, so I'm just guessing. Well, he's so mealy-mouthed. I mean, the guy, he won't take a stand on anything. Uh, yet Osteen hasn't joined the more strident wing of the religious right in damning gays. Indeed, Osteen takes heat from other evangelicals who contemn him for not laying down a line of fire about the sin uh, in any way, shape, or form. That's not his style, says the preacher, known for his broad smile and sermons that God wants you to be happy. Osteen's bestseller is titled, the, Your Best Life Now. So, yeah, that's Smiley Joel. He's Now he's giving prayer services for... Uh, lesbians uh, openly. It's just, you know, it's unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Next article. Into the arms of Rome through the ancient church fathers and the Eucharist. This is by Roger Oakland. This is uh, from Lighthouse Trails Research. Excellent site regarding this subject we're going to get into. John Henry Cardinal Newman, his conversion to the Catholic Church took place after he began quote, meditating and reflecting on the writings of the Catholic Church Fathers. The same story can be repeated by thousands and thousands of times now that we are in the 21st century. So you have to understand, there is somewhat of an exodus by Protestants into the Catholic Church. A lot of people aren't maybe not aware of this. You would think people would be coming out of it, and I know there are certain ones that are, but there's also a exodus into the Catholic Church, who they refer to as the Mother Church. It is the Mother Church for the Protestant movement. Martin Luther started the Protestants, the Protestant movement. Why? Because they were protesting. Okay, 95 Thesis nailed to the door, Catholic Church, all that stuff. Okay. Why they call them Protestants? Because they were protesting things that were going on in the Catholic Church. I don't call myself a Protestant. Ever call myself a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. That's it. I don't even want to be associated with any, you know, I don't really see any Bible for denominational labels anyway. I just, you know, there's just not a whole lot of Bible for it. It, To me, it just causes more division and more problems in that you've got literally thousands of different denominations. Well, God is not the author of confusion. Which is the right one? I don't know. Follow the book. Follow the Word of God. Anyway, not to say there hasn't been some good denominations, okay, I'm not saying that, but it just to me it seems to create more problems than it helps. <clears throat> Journeys home, 
which is edited by Marcus Grody, is a book that documents many of these conversions from to Catholicism. In the introduction of the book, we read the following. Many of these men and women came from the Protestant faith. From an early age, they had been taught all kinds of things about Catholics and their beliefs. Some, sometimes horrifying. Oh, what, you mean like the Spanish Inquisition, where they killed millions and millions and millions of true born-again Bible-believing Christians? And then they killed other people too. Why? Because they wouldn't convert to their ungodly, paganized, scum religion called the Catholic Church? And they would torture them by the most unbelievable means of all, all in the name of God? Oh, you mean like that? Oh, but, you know, like that didn't happen or something? It's like, why should this religion even have a right to exist? We've got the pedophile, devil, Catholic priests. We've got all the perversion that goes on in the Catholic Church. Child molestation, rampant. It's coming out all over the news still, all the time. We've got all the millions and millions and millions of people that this religion has killed. And yet, they're allowed to go on like none of it ever happened. Unbelievable. Um, This quote from this book. From an early age, they had been taught all kinds of things about Catholics. And their beliefs, sometimes horrifying. Repulsive things. Well, it was definitely... They were on the right track, as far as I can see. That made them wonder whether Catholics could be saved. Yet in each case, and in in uniquely different ways, the, and I put in, unholy spirit, opened their hearts to realize that much of what they'd been taught about the Catholic Church was never true. Oh, it's just brainwashing. What are they going to do? Deny the Inquisition? That alone is enough reason. Going to deny salvation by works? And the seven sacraments? The pedophile priests? The, the worship of the Eucharist? As the, and and the, the wine in the Eucharist as the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ? They're not going to deny how, What about idol worship? How they've removed one of the commandments from the Bible, literally removed the commandment on idolatry to justify worshiping idols? How they have to go through Mary, who they're saying now is the co-redemptrix? Mary and Jesus Christ, you got to get saved through them both now? The abominations never end with this the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet. It's an abomination from the pit of hell. Sharon M. Mann, in a section of Journeys Home, provides a personal testimony as one of the many who have made the journey home to Rome. Isn't that special? She testified that the church fathers played an important role in starting her on the journey to Catholicism. Church fathers, well, let's clarify, Catholic church fathers. Catholic, you know, wasn't born-again Bible-believing Christians as far as I can see. I started reading the early church fathers and realized that whatever they believed, they sure were not Protestant. Well, you're right about that. Catholic themes peppered the landscape of church history. I couldn't deny it, nor, nor could I accept it. Surely they were misguided. The church was floundering in the first centuries and tons of crazy ideas were floating around. Not with the true born-again Bible-believing Christians. Not, not with them. They were first called Christians in Antioch, according to Acts. And you can... I've even got a chart on my King James Bible page where you can actually trace the lineage of the two different streams of Bibles. One started in Alexandria, Egypt, and that ended up becoming the, the Catholic line, the paganized line. 
where we get the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, which were the two corrupt Catholic manuscripts that, that the two occultists, Westcott and Hort, used to translate the revised version of 1881, which spawned virtually all the perverted Bibles that we have today that are not King James. We have that line, and then we have the versions, we have the, the Word of God that started in Antioch, where they were first called Christians, as the Bible said. And we have that where we can trace that through to the Byzantine text and the Textus Receptus and these types of things into the King James Bible. Two, two separate streams. So, she goes on to say, <clears throat> When I began reading St. Augustine, however, I was stunned at how Catholic he was. Well, why? He's not an early church father for Christianity, not true Bible-believing Christianity. Let's look at his background. Now, this is something I just... I found out after I I wanted to say, okay, well, she made this statement about St. Augustine. She was stunned how Catholic he is. I don't see why she was stunned because because of what I'm going to read you. His name was also Augustine of Hippo. So this guy was really super, super overweight, so they called him a hippo. No, just kidding. Sorry. Teasing, teasing. Anyway, his name was Augustine of Hippo. And it was another one of his monikers. He was born on November 13, 354 A.D. and lived until August 28th, 430 A.D. Um, He was also known as the Bishop of Hippo Regis, also known as Augustine, also known as St. Augustine, or St. Austin. And was a Romanized Berber philosopher and theologian. He was the guy that invented Berber carpet, that weave. No, sorry, just kidding, teasing. He was a Romanized Berber philosopher and theologian. The start of Catholicism came around 312 A.D., via the Roman Emperor Constantine I, or also known as Constantine the Great, the first Pope. Constantine will retain the title of Pontificus Maximus, doesn't that sound holy, until his death. A title previous emperors bore as the heads of a pagan priesthood. So the first Pope, it was just a continuing of the pagan priesthood, just with a Christianized veneer, as I stated earlier. Now I've done whole teachings on this, so I don't want to say too much, but Augustine was born in the city of Thegasti to a pagan father named Patrick Patricius and a Catholic mother named Monica. He was educated in North Africa and resisted his mother's pleas to become a Catholic. Now, they had they resisted his pleas to become a Christian. They're, Catholics are not Christians, okay? And the world loves to, to lump us in, like this zeitgeist film, loves to lump us all in and say that Everything that has to do with the Catholic religion is the Christian religion. No, it's not. Isn't that convenient for them to do that? Because when they do that, they can justify a lot of their arguments. Because they say, well, all all the modern-day Christian churches is based on paganism, repackaged paganism. Well, they're right about the Catholic Church, but they're wrong about true born-again Bible-believing Christians. And I've done several teachings exposing this zeitgeist garbage that you can access up on YouTube or at contendingfortruth.com in the archives section. And um, we're working on getting the archive section into a searchable format, but my time's just been so limited, it's been very hard for me to work on that lately. Uh, but hopefully, eventually, we'll get that done. Uh, anyway, living as a pagan intellectual, this is St. Augustine, he took a concubine with whom he had a son, Adiodatus. Later, he converted to Catholicism and became a bishop in the Catholic Church and the Anglican communion, he is a saint and a preeminent doctor of the church. 
That's why when you see pictures of St. Augustine, he always has a stethoscope around his neck. And one of those speculums that the doctors wear. Sorry, just kidding. Teasing. And the patron of the Augustinian religious order. His memorial is celebrated August 28th. Many Protestants, especially Calvinists, consider him to be one of the theological fathers of the Reformation. Whoa, that's uh, that's not a good thing. If you're a Calvinist, huh? Okay, anyway. Remember, there's a lot of leftover baggage that the Protestants brought with them out of the Catholic Church. This is why I just say, stick with the Word of God. Don't get wrapped up and bound up in some denomination or some man that you're following, because the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5. Not something you want to do. So many Protestants, especially Calvinists, consider him to be one of the theological fathers of the Reformation, teaching on salvation and divine grace. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, he is considered blessed. Again, Eastern Orthodox Church, kind of like a, another version of Catholicism, with just a different flavor. Uh, and his feast day is celebrated on the 15th of June. Among the Orthodox, he is called the Blessed Augustine, or St. Augustine the Blessed. He established anew the ancient faith. According to his contemporary Jerome, in his early years he was heavily influenced by Manichaeism. Um, now, what is that? It's the syn- syncretic, dualistic, religious philosophy taught by the Persian prophet Manes, combining elements of Zoroastrian, Christian, and Gnostic thought, and opposed by the imperial Roman government. Neoplatonist philosophers and the Orthodox Christians. Okay, so in his early years, he was heavily influenced by that. He was also heavily influenced by the Neoplatonism of Platonus, meaning Platoism. The Plato, the philosopher, had a lot to do with that. But after his conversion and baptism into the Catholic Church, he developed his own approach to philosophy and theology, accommodating a variety of methods and different perspectives. Kind of funny, it sounds like that Bible verse where it says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Okay, Proverbs 28.26. And the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. Jeremiah 17.9. I mean, doesn't it sound like he's just taking everything he can out of all his different respective religions? Kind of making his own little take on things, incorporating that into the Catholic cult. So, um, it's said that he established anew the ancient faith according to his contemporary Jerome. Who's Jerome? St. Jerome. This is Catholic. I don't call him a saint, but they call him St. Jerome. Um, He lived from 347 to 420 AD. He was an Illyrian Catholic priest. Illyrian meaning the region or area he was from. He was an Illyrian Catholic priest and apologist. He is best known for his new translation of the Bible into Latin, which has since become called the Vulgate. And his list of writings are extensive. Now, when you think of the Latin Vulgate, you think of vulgar. Okay, It's not the same line that the Textus Receptus was from. Some people say it was, and it's not. Dr. D.A. Waite has proven that. So, anyway... Um, the Latin Vulgate was a translation that Jerome had made by the order of Pope Damasus. 
So when you when you try to say, you know, oh, the Latin, no, you understand it's purely the Catholic-inspired type of translation there. Okay, He is recognized by the Catholic Church as a saint and a doctor of the Church, and his version of the Bible is still supposedly, an, well, it is still an important text in Catholicism. He is also recognized as a saint by the Eastern Orthodox Church, where he is known as St. Jerome of Stridonium, or the Blessed Jerome. Reminds me of these Masonic degrees where it's worshipful master and most worshipful master and all these, you know, they just love their titles heaped on them. Okay, going back to this article. Like many others who have read the writings of Augustine and other Catholic church fathers, Sharon wanted to know more about the Catholic tradition. She went to a chapel where the Eucharistic adoration was underway. This is where they worship the Catholic communion host in the monstrance, in the little thing they keep it in, the little glass thing. They go there and they worship uh, a piece of unleavened uh, wafer. It's the wafer god. Chick even has a track on the wafer god. It's like it's an idol. It's one of the many idols that they have in the Catholic faith. The, the rosary, you know where that originally came from? Those are Hindu prayer beads that the Catholics took from the pagan religion and adopted into their own. Almost everything they do in Catholicism is just repackaged paganism. So anyway, let's go further. So she was she went to this chapel where the Eucharistic adoration was underway, and like many others, she had an experience that changed her life. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is how Sherib described the encounter. Finally, Saturday night at the Eucharistic adoration, I saw 1,000 plus people kneeling on a hard concrete floor, giving adoration to the sacrament. Like the seven sacraments, it's kind of how you have to kind of earn your way to heaven if you're a Catholic. And even then, you really don't have any guarantees. So, And it matters, too, because it was they were on a hard floor. Some of these people will literally make pilgrimages where they're on their knees, and, they're, you know, and they'll walk for who knows how long on their knees. And that makes them a good Catholic. Okay? It's how they think about it. And the more, the more they suffer, well, I mean, you have the monks and they want to flagellate themselves with those whips and stuff and, you know, do all that other garbage to themselves. Totally unbiblical, you know, totally no Bible for any of it. But that doesn't matter, because they kind of make the rules up as they go. Whatever the Pope says goes. They, they call him the vicar of Christ, meaning the substitute Christ on earth. And they believe he's infallible and all this other garbage. Then she goes on to say, I found tears streaming down my face. I knelt to not knowing if it was real or whether the people were just crazy. But every time the sacrament came near me, my throat tightened and I couldn't swallow. What was that? It was demons. It was literally demons doing that to her. Giving her this feeling of whatever she was experiencing, euphoria, overcome with emotions, whatever. It was her heart. None of it had to do with what the Bible says to do. But there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I was being torn apart by my convictions. If the Lord was truly passed by, then I wanted to adore and worship him. But if he wasn't, I was afraid to be idolatrous. The weekend left a very powerful imprint on my heart. Remember the heart? She even admitted it. And I found myself running out of good arguments to stay Protestant. Why? Because those demons were overtaking her. Of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. The Bible says, while they, while they themselves 
promise them liberty. They themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. You go into the Catholic religion, you sit under that roof, you're subjecting yourselves to those demons. It would be the same if you went into a Jehovah Witness place or a Mormon temple or whatever. You've got to be careful. Because you might find yourself being overcome with their false dogma and false belief system. And it's demonic. You've got to watch where you, where you put yourself. Okay, Make sure you're led of the Lord if you do something like that. So, um, she said she found herself running out of good arguments to stay Protestant. Then she says, My heart was longing to be Catholic and to be restored to the unity with all Christendom. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what's coming? The one world religion, the unity of all faiths, the one world religion of Antichrist. This is where we're moving in that direction. The Eucharistic experience drew Sharon to Catholicism. And it's no different when they have all the Marian apparitions and the Lady of Medjugorje and all that stuff. And that There's a tape you can go watch. It's up on the internet. It's called Messages from Heaven where it breaks down all the messages that have come from these supposed apparitions of Mary and the Lords and Medjugorje and all that stuff. And it's kind of funny because when these apparitions speak, it's always unbiblical. It's always Mary is the co-redemptrix and go to Mary and do this and do that. Don't go to Jesus Christ, go to Mary. The Bible says there's one moderator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not Mary, but Christ Jesus. He's our heavenly advocate. He's who we go through. He is how we approach Father God. So, anyway. This is how it goes down. And this is why we have to be very careful. Remember, when the Antichrist comes, how is he going to deceive the whole world? Through lying signs and wonders and miracles. Okay, Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. I'm not saying God can't do miracles. But if the miracles you're witnessing, or whatever ex- religious experience you think you're having, if it contradicts the word of God, then it's not from God. So you've got to be real careful with this stuff. The Eucharist experience um, drew Sharon to Catholicism. Her journey began with an interest in the Catholic Church Fathers. That's how it started, innocently enough, supposedly, and then led her right into the full Catholic conversion. The emerging church, through its emphasis on the teachings of the church fathers, based upon a foundation that the ancient future faith is the answer to reaching the postmodern generation, has the potential to open the same door that Sharon walked through. This ancient future path of worship is leading possibly millions into the arms of Rome and into hell, ultimately. Do you recall what Paul prophesied would happen to the early church? He stated in Acts 20, 28-30, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and do all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. See, men want to be, and a lot of times nowadays, women... They want to be worshipped. They want to draw men after. Oh, God showed me this. And I'm the only one on the planet He showed it to. I'm special. (laughs) It's arrogance. I'm not saying God can't show you something. I'm just saying when you start thinking you're the only one God's talking to. 
Paul actually warned the people that after he was gone, grievous wolves would enter the church and hurt believers. A look at church history validates Paul's prophetic warning. He said it would happen, and then it happened. Numerous church leaders emerged during the first end of the third centuries. Scriptural principles were ignored, and this is Augustine's one of them, and followed many of the experiential teachings of men who claimed they had discovered new and innovative methods to get in touch with God. The reason that this happened is simple. We know God's word is light, and we know it's right. When we replace the word of God with the words of men, which are considered to bring enlightenment, then we have the perfect formula for returning back to darkness. The early mystics added ideas to Christianity that cannot be found in the Bible. These are ones that were highly influenced by Egyptian thought. Okay, Alexandria and Egypt, Egyptian library, where we, we've got the guys like Origen and those types of people, they were pagans, and they tried to paganize Christianity right from the very beginning. This is how we ultimately ended up really getting the Catholic Church, through combining that with the, with the Roman system. That's how it happened. The early mystics added ideas to Christianity that cannot be found in the Bible, a recipe for a spiritual disaster. Jude also warned about the coming apostasy in the early church. Jude 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. People would have a hard time. What do you mean they were ordained to it? You mean they were born for this? Well, the Bible says the wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. I don't quite understand that, but the Bible's real clear on it. Where's another verse where it alludes to that? Romans 9, 20 through 24. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the powder power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. They're literally vessels of wrath, fitted, meaning prepared for destruction. Well, some people, a lot of people would say, well, that's not fair. Listen, it's not my rule book, it's God's. He's the one that made us. I'm not going to go to the potter and say, why have you made me thus? Okay, I'm just not going to do that. Okay, it's not my rule book. It's God's. So, I'm sorry if you have a problem with it, but that's what the Bible says. Not to say everybody does. I'm saying there, there might be some that do. And it is a hard thing to comprehend. I'm not saying it's not, but that's what the Bible says. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. These would be the people that are actually born-again Bible-believing Christians, the vessels of mercy. Why? Because when he saved us, he had mercy on us. And again, it says, which he had afore, meaning before, he had prepared unto glory. Well, he said that, I believe it was uh, Jeremiah, says, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet. Before you formed me in the womb, you knew me? That's what the Bible says. He knows the beginning from the end. So, as hard as your head wrapped around that, just if you're, you know, this is what the Bible says. 
It said he had a fore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, just wanted to throw that in there. Many emerging church leaders are suggesting the need to study the ideas and beliefs of the church leaders of the post-disciple era. They say if the pastors and church leaders reintroduce these teachings from the past, we will have spiritual transformation and successful churches in the 21st century. No, all I need is the Bible, sorry. But this is the... This is a big reason why things are going down the tubes, and we're going to look at that a little bit more. It goes on to say, but wait a minute, if the church that emerged from the New Testament church was based on ideas and beliefs foreign to Scripture, why would we want to emulate a previous error? <laughs> Pretty good uh, point. When the doctrines of men replace the doctrines of Scripture, many are led astray. It has happened in the past, and it is happening now. Following doctrine not based on the Word of God always results in an undoing of faith. And that's from the book Faith Undone, chapter 5, page 77. Um, here's a, another part of this. How to tell if your church is becoming emergent. This is the emergent church. This is the part of the modern day church that we have now that are being influenced by this very garbage that we just talked about. And I don't just mean the Catholic part. I mean the Catholic part seeping in to the modern day Church of America. The modern day, I guess you would call it Protestant church. So how, what are some warning signs here, if your church is going down this road? There are specific warning signs that are symptomatic that a church may be heading down the emergent, contemplative road. In some cases, a pastor may not be aware that he's even on this road, nor understand where the road ends up. Here's some warning signs. Scripture is no longer the ultimate authority as the basis for the Christian faith. The centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being replaced by humanistic methods promoting church growth and a social gospel. More and more emphasis is being placed on the building of the kingdom of God now, which would have a lot to do with dominionism, and less and less on the warnings of scripture about the return of Jesus Christ and the coming judgment in the future. Next point. The teaching that Jesus Christ will rule and reign in a literal millennial period is considered unbiblical and heretical. Well, this is amillennialism. Okay? And what is that? It's a view in Christian end times theology named for its rejection of the theory that Jesus Christ will have a literal thousand year long reign on earth. In contrast, the amillennial view holds that the thousand years mentioned in Revelation 20 is a symbolic number not a literal description, and that the millennium has already begun. And it's identical with the current church age. Uh, more rarely that it ended with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which is also called preterism. So I get these questions all the time. All this stuff, all this heresy, is now becoming just accepted now. And these people that are buying into this stuff, you can't, it's pointless hardly trying to argue with any of them, because their mind's made up. The teaching, here's another sign, the teaching that the church has taken the place of Israel, oh, we just mentioned that, and that Israel has no prophetic significance is often also embraced. This is like British Israelism and a lot of other cults out there that believe that. Oh, aren't we special? We've taken the place of Israel and Israel's, God's done with Israel, we're special. It's pride. The te- here's another point, the teaching of the book of Revelation 
does not refer to the future, but instead has already been fulfilled. That, again, that's preterism, mostly. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's other flavors, but preterism is one of the ones that really teaches that. And I know there's different forms of preterism, okay, but for the most part. Here's another sign. An experiential, mystical form of Christianity begins to be promoted as a method to reach the postmodern generation. And this would be more the emerging church that we were talking about. Um, this mystical form of Christianity was, was much promoted by the mystic Catholic church fathers. Okay? They're the ones that a lot of people are going back to to get this revelation. These are the ones that, you know, they had skulls with them and they contemplate, they, you know, all kind of manner of evil that they were involved in, this obsession with death, and these are the Catholic mystics of times past. Uh, Let's go further. Ideas are promoted teaching that Christianity needs to be reinvented in order to provide meaning for this generation. We need a fresh anointing, fresh move of God, because... You know, the old one just won't do anymore. The Bible says to seek ye the old paths wherein is wisdom, and not to remove the old landmarks, and these types of things. And I, I would view that in synonymous with the King James Bible. Don't, you know, this is not the time to try to reinvent the wheel here. We already have the King James Bible. That's what we need, okay? We need the Word of God. And let's not try to make, you know, all the stuff. Next point, the pastor may implement an idea called the ancient future, or quote, vintage Christianity, claiming that in order to take the church forward, we need to go back in church history and find out what experiences were effective to get people to embrace Christianity. Now, this is under the contemplative Christianity that we're going to look at. Another point, while the authority of the Word of God is undermined, images and sensual experiences are promoted as the key to experiencing and knowing God. These experiences include icons, candles, incense, liturgy, labyrinths, prayer stations, contemplative prayer, experiencing the sacraments, particularly the sacrament of the Eucharist. It's all demonic stuff designed to get you entrapped into Satan's kingdom. The following is an excerpt from David Cloud's book, Contemplative Mysticism, A Powerful Ecumenical Bond. And this is the book, this is the... uh, kind of describing the book, Contemplative Mysticism, which originated with the Roman Catholic and Greek Orthodox monasticism, is permeating every branch of Christianity today, including the Southern Baptist Convention. In this book, we document the fact that the Catholic mysticism leads inevitably to a broad-minded ecumenical philosophy and to the adoption of heresies. For many, this path has led to the interfaith dialogue between Buddhism, Hinduism, Universalism, Pantheism, and even goddess theology. See, Satan's never going to let you be content with one thing. If you start down this road, you're going to find yourself yoked up with every... Well, that great. We can have a one-world religion that way. Under any Christ. We can be one big, happy, satanic family. That's what it's going to come down to. Not the true Bible-believing Christians, but I'm just saying, for the most part, one chapter of this book is dedicated to exposing the heresies of Richard Foster, um who's known as Evangelicalism's Mystical Spark Plug. Why couldn't I have a cool moniker like that? Scott Johnson, the Mystical Spark Plug. You know? I'll give you a tune-up. You know, a spiritual tune-up. Come and I'll, you know, give me a break. And then it goes on to say, We describe the major (laughs) contemplative practices, such as centering prayer, visualization prayer, Jesus prayer, 
Licto Divina and the Labyrinth. We look at the history of the Roman Catholic monasticism, beginning with the Desert Fathers and the Church Fathers, and document the heresies associated with it. I mean, where they found the Sinaiticus manuscripts, which was the the other half of what Westcott and Hort used to translate the Revised Version of 1881, this Catholic, corrupt Catholic manuscript, was literally in a trash can at the base of Mount Sinai, I believe at the uh, St. Catherine's Monastery, the base of Mount Sinai. It was a monastic where monks live. And I've seen pictures of this place inside. They've preserved it, and I mean, they've got like one room full of like skulls, and then they've got another room where they've literally got full skeletons that are somehow together still and chained to the walls. And these are skeletons of the old monks who died. I mean, this is pure wickedness and evil. But, you know, they knew best, evidently. That's definitely somebody I want to follow, you know. I mean, they had it together, obviously. So anyway... Um, Let's see here. The beginning with the Desert Fathers and the Church Fathers and document the heresies associated with it. It's a sacramental gospel. Rejection of the Bible as the sole authority. Veneration of Mary. Purgatory. Celibacy. Uh, allegorical interpretation of scripture and moral corruption. We examine the errors of contemplative mysticism such as the downplaying of the centrality of the Bible. Ignoring the fact that multitudes of professing Christians are not born again exchanging the God of the Bible for a blind idol, ignoring the Bible's warnings against heresy and paganism, and the downplaying the danger of spiritual delusion. In the biological catalog of contemplative mystics, we look at the lives and beliefs of over 60 major figures in the contemplative movement. And they give a whole bunch here. But it's a 482-page book, and I give you, um, if you want to order that, I give you all the, the resources to do that. Um, there seems to be a strong emphasis on ecumenicism, indicating that a bridge is being established that leads in the direction of the unity with the Roman Catholic Church. Some evangelical Protestant leaders are saying that the Reformation went too far. They are re-examining the claims of the Church Fathers, saying that communion is more than is more than a symbol, and that Jesus actually becomes present at the in the wafer at the communion. Now, this is the this is one of the signs if your church is going contemplative or immersion. Well, what is that? That's transubstantiation. Where the Catholic Church teaches that the priest has the literal power of almost God on earth, where he can literally make Jesus Christ come down from heaven and literally transform the body and blood of Jesus Christ into the Catholic communion host and the wine. The literal body, not the symbolic, the literal. The process in the Catholic Church called transubstantiation. It's a total abomination from the pit of hell. Total lie. But if your church is doing that, then it's not a good sign. Uh, another sign. There will be a growing trend towards an ecumenical unity for the cause of world peace, claiming the validity of other religions and that there are many ways to God. Members of churches who question or resist the new changes that a pastor is implementing are reprimanded and usually asked to leave. Well, I, let me tell you, if they did that to you, they're doing you a favor. Uh, one of the notes they say, in addition to the signs above, as Roger points out in his book, Faith Undone, if a church is incorporating the materials of the purpose-driven or Willow Creek, Rick Warren purpose-driven church, and Willow Creek, then they are putting themselves at risk of becoming emerging or contemplative. Willow Creek and Rick Warren are two of the strongest advocates for the emerging contemplative spirituality. Well, why should that surprise us? Okay, they're, they're the two 
two of the biggest movements in all of pseudo-Christianity, and they're going to point us in that direction. Ultimately, what is it going to happen? It, ultimately, we're going to have Luciferianism, or witchcraft, as the coming one world religion. The Bible says the Antichrist is going to cause craft to prosper in his hand, that, that he's going to be an uh, understander of dark sentences. There's all these... Um, uh, verses in even Revelation where it talks about, you know, they're going to use lines, signs, and wonders, and miracles. What are those lines, signs, and wonders, and miracles going to be based on? Witchcraft. It's going to be an adept at witchcraft. Okay? That's going to be the essence of the coming one world religion. This is why we have shows like Harry Potter and all these shows about vampires and werewolves and, and mediums and, and clairvoyance and all the stuff because that is what they want us to, to condition us to believing is just the way it's going to be. And they're going to incorporate that into all religions, whether they call themselves Christians or not. They're all going to go that route. So I'm going to go ahead and end part two here. We'll go to part three next.